Today on Podcast by the Bay, current San Mateo Mayor Rick Benilla speaking on his vision of San Mateo and the future to come. For at least the last 40 years, we have not built housing to go with the jobs that we've created. We also have not improved our mass transit system in any way. Okay, So we need to do two things. We need to get smarter and build some housing in areas where it doesn't impact our settled historic neighborhoods, but right next to the, ra- the train station. Our downtown train station is a big opportunity area there. Also, discussing the Bay Meadows project and the movement of the Hillsdale train station. The whole idea was that if we take advantage of that train station and we design our grid right, we design the neighborhood right with Out of the 83 acres, we have 18 acres of parks and green open spaces. So it's very walkable. It's very bikeable. uh, It's a close-knit community. We did use reduced parking requirements there because it was a transit-oriented development. And we did something then that is smart and it's serving us well now. We formed a transportation management association. All on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by... Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com slash podcast by the bay. And in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. Liberty Realty. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, another podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And welcome to another rendition of Podcast by the Bay. We are excited. We are excited to have you joining us. Another wonderful show. And today's show, we're going to get back to some of our mayor series. And really, one of the things Patrick and I have been really interested in is really hearing some of the feedback from all of the mayors on the peninsula. And so actually, Patrick has been able to secure a number of the mayor mayors to actually interview with Podcast by the Bay. And so previously, you've heard Jocelyn Monalo, you've heard um, Ian Bain. And so today, we actually are going to have an exclusive interview with Rick Bonilla from San Mateo. And we are excited to, pre- to present Rick and to really hear some of the issues that are happening in San Mateo on the peninsula and really how uh, they're affecting the, the overall peninsula communities. So, Patrick... You were there, you got to interview with Rick, and just what's your initial feedback? Well, let me kind of start out with the listeners to, to let you know that San Mateo, which means uh, San Mateo, it's Spanish for St. Matthew, uh, is the city in the San Mateo County. It's uh, located uh, real close to the Bay Area. Its population is a little bit over 100,000. Uh, St. Matthew's also the Episcopal on El Camino was a hospital at one time for uh, people coming back from the Civil War. So uh, San Mateo has a lot of history, a lot of Spanish history b- background. Um, as you know, the, the uh, Alameda de las Plugas was called the Avenue of the Fleas. 
and um, Laurel Creek is, was named after Los, a mission uh, Dolores in 1789. Um, a lot of people uh, realize that Coyote Point was established in 1810, was recorded in, in uh, the records. Some wealthy San Francisco began building numbers of homes in the Mid-Peninsula, um, right near Burlingame and Hillsboro. Um, A.P. Giannini is the founder of the Bank of Italy, which became one of the Bank of America. And as you know, we also have the Giannini branch uh, here on El Camino. Uh, in 1858, Sunwater Station, a station on Butterfield Overland Mail Route, was established in San Mateo. It was located nine miles south of Clark Station, which is now San Bruno, and nine miles north of the Redwood City State Station. Um, as you know, uh, the city of San Mateo, Rick uh, Bonilla, uh, was born in San Francisco, um, lived in San Bruno, uh, was also a, a journeyman carpenter, a, u- a union man, uh, very active civically and politically. Um, he just got involved in politics in the last, oh, I'd say 10 or 15 years. He's uh, a well-established person in the community. And I think when you have an opportunity to listen to him, you're going to hear his compassion for the city. Uh, He's all about housing. He wants to see housing develop. And again, as I mentioned, the population is a little bit over 100,000. He's going to talk about um, some of the projects. Uh, The Bay Meadows project, as we know, had some uh, influence on one of the phases where they put in the CCNRs uh, that you um, you couldn't have a car, that you had to have a pool share. So that was kind of controversial. And of course, how you can prevent people from having cars. But I got to give the city of San Mateo a nod on that. Uh, and as we all know, Bay Meadows is uh, happening. We also, he's going to talk about the project right off 92, which is where uh, Kmart was. Uh, that is almost um, probably ready to open up. He's also going to talk about another project, which we talked about, I think it was technology um, area, uh, where they're going to put some housing in. It's still in a community development stage. This is right off of uh, Northfolk, uh, not too far from where the old Taco Bell was. So I I think the listeners are going to enjoy it. And if you are from the city of San Mateo, Rick is very approachable. Um, I hope you have an opportunity to talk with him. They do not have a policy percentage-wise on affordable housing or senior housing. Uh, The city of San Mateo had a controversial uh, issue with trying to establish some rent control. There was people to push for that. Uh, One of our uh, trusted people that worked so hard to run for election was Chelsea Bonini, uh, and uh, she's also still out there working hard in the public trying to help everybody uh, get through uh, the process. Anything else, Andre, that you may have some questions about? Yeah, wow, this is all great information. I, I do appreciate uh, a little bit of the historical perspective, too. I mean, somebody that actually spent a lot of time in San Mateo as a kid, I actually do remember going to the Bay Meadows racetrack. <laughs> and it's amazing when you think about it, just in the last 10 years, how much things have changed. And really, one of the things about San Mateo that most people are relating with currently is it's kind of a ground zero for this traffic issue, right? So the whole 92-101 interchange right there, you have the Silicon Valley traffic, everybody's commuting from the East Bay, um, and, and it's just become this ground zero for this for the, the affordable housing crisis, the traffic issue. So really, with with some of those issues, was there any kind of uh, initial feedback you got from Rick? Uh, you know, how are they looking to actually deal with some of that? Well, they, um, you know, the process that I know um, Andre and I had an opportunity to talk to Kevin Mullen, 
And um, in regards to the 92, there, uh, I did talk to him a little bit about it and got a little more information that they're probably going to be establishing some more bike lanes and commuter lanes um, right off the 92 in the El Camino. Um, and I think that's going to connect in all to the redevelopment of the Hillsdale Mall, too. So I think we need to stay tuned. I think the plans are not quite out there on how it's going to operate. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, that they do something about it. Um, I also forgot to mention that the, uh, one of the first Vietnam veterans recognition parades uh, was established with the 101st Airborne in the city of San Mateo. And um, I was given some history that uh, during the Vietnam War, uh, one of the mothers uh, of one of the sons was so upset that they were getting bad publicity about the Vietnam War and that her son was serving in that. And she approached the, uh, the city of San Mateo and uh, the 101st Airborne. So the 101st Airborne has established um, that uh, San Mateo's recognition. They had a, uh, they've had a couple of parades uh, in the city of San Mateo. And um, I, my hat's off to that. I did work on it on the Vietnam Veteran Recognition Parade back in the uh, 80s with, uh, with Jack Murray. And probably some people remember him around there, too. So San Mateo's in the forefront of, of trying to do the right thing. Uh, as I mentioned, they do not have any requirement um, of a percentage for projects. So they do it um, step project by project. Uh, they are very sensitive about seniors and first-time home buyers. Uh, but, Andre, I think you bring up some good information. I think we need to get some more information from the elected officials on how that 92 is going to hopefully uh, uh, make traffic flow better. Yeah, and I think this is a discussion all of us are having. All of us are having in our in our coffee shops, in our homes, in our in our workplaces, right, just about the traffic and not only in San Mateo but really all, all over their entire peninsula and the Bay Area. And so – yeah, I mean, uh, we appreciate everybody chiming in on, on our dis- discussions. And if you have any feedback and if you want to engage with us, please contact us, podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Uh, like us on Facebook. That's actually a place a lot of people are communicating with us. It's uh, facebook.com slash podcastbythebay. Um, and, yeah, reach out to us. We're happy to engage. And we are talking about a lot of the issues. I mean, part of our role uh, is we want to actually engage the public and get people involved and have conversations with us because I think it's stuff that's really happening right now and we're recognizing this and so that's what we're about here. So anyways, I think with that we're going to get to the Rick Benia interview and we're excited to prevent this exclusive interview and we're thank you, you know, we're thanks thankful for to Rick for his time and for really meeting with us and uh yeah, and I think uh we're going to get to this right now. So with that, this is Andre And this is Patrick. And we'll see you on the next time, a podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. It is Thursday, and it's the 8th of February, I think. Okay. And I'm honored to be interviewing Rick Bonilla. He's the mayor in the city of San Mateo. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay, Rick. Um, If you could give us a little background information about yourself. Are you a native of San Mateo, or how did you get here? Well, first, thank you, Patrick, for being here today to uh, interview me. I appreciate the opportunity. I was born in San Francisco in 1953. I lived there for five years, and I told my family, you know, it's a little too crowded here. Let's move to San Bruno. So we lived in San Bruno. Uh, I was five. Uh, We moved in in 58, 
San Bruno was still a very small town on the peninsula. Four houses away, we had a row of eucalyptus trees, and beyond that, cows all the way to Daly City. So it was a great place to grow up. And um, went to school there. 18 years old, I decided, too much fog here. So I moved down to San Mateo, where I've lived around San Mateo ever since, about 71. And um, I have found San Mateo to be a great place to live, great quality of life. Um, I'm really uh, very deeply, personally invested in the well-being of our city and our people. I love it. Rick, how long have you been in politics? Well, I actually first got involved in politics uh, as a member of the Carpenters Union in 1992. I grew to be very concerned about who was going to be the president. So I went to work. I volunteered at the Democratic Committee headquarters on B Street at around uh, 8th Avenue. Right now it's the uh, Espiritu, Brazilian meat place there, right? So I volunteered out there. I did precinct walking and phone banking and uh, met a lot of people and um, got very involved. I was already involved with the San Mateo Central Labor Council and um, a big part of what they do is politics too. So I, um, from there I just sort of grew into it because um, for unions, uh, legislation matters. And so I started paying attention and weighing in with my opinions. I got very involved here at the city starting in like 95. I started reading all the staff reports and attending planning commission and city council meetings, um, uh, presenting my opinions at the, at the public uh, uh, opportunity there, and um, introducing myself to all the electeds, the appointeds, everybody. In 2001, the city council was creating a new committee to study the Bay Meadows, 83 acres that's being built right now, and the transit corridor coming from there up to the Hayward Park Station. Uh, so I was appointed. It was a 17-person stakeholder committee, um, and we studied the, all the, those areas for over three years. <laughs> it was quite a study. But when we were finished, basically what you're seeing being built there mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. uh, were Survey Monkey, the residences, mm -hmm. Bay Meadows, the three grade separations that are now under, uh, under work um, were planned back then um, at 25th, 28th, and 31st. Um, and uh, the other thing that things that you see going on around... Uh, Can we kind of backtrack just a little yeah. bit? Um, how long have you been on city council? Since uh, January 2015, when Robert Ross stepped down, I was appointed by the rest of the council members unanimously. Excellent. And um, so you've been uh, as, as a, on the city council for how long now? Since January 2015. Wow. So uh, I was appointed. Then I, as the appointed member, had to run in the next election. So that was November 2015. I ran unopposed uh, for what was left in that term, which was two years. Um, this year, last year, I finished that term. I ran for re-election, and I won re-election by a handy margin. And um, um, now the term we have is five years for us, those of us who were re-elected. And, um, and actually, everybody's getting a five-year term because we did have a charter revision on the ballot. Our charter said we will have elections in odd years. Well, we had to change to even years per state law. Well, why don't we, why don't we talk a little bit about one of the more successful projects that I think on the peninsula, and that's the Bay Meadows project. Why don't you give us a little... Um, I'm in the housing industry, and one of the, one of the pivotal things that I liked is how you kept it towards corridor transportation and how you made some CC&R rules where some of the owners had to share a car. 
Okay, why don't you talk about that? Why don't you talk about the Bay Meadows and what happened out there and what's going on now? So Bay Meadows is what was at the time kind of groundbreaking, uh, at least for modern times in terms of development here, a transit-oriented development. And that is why it's there on the tracks, and that's why we're going to be moving the Hillsdale Station north about a quarter mile. It'll be up between, um, it'll be closer to 28th Avenue from where it is. Um, kind of central to the Bay Meadows um, uh, neighborhood. And the whole idea was that if we take advantage of that train station and we design our grid right, we design the neighborhood right, with out of the 83 acres, we have 18 acres of parks and green open spaces. So it's very walkable, it's very bikeable, uh, it's a close knit community. We did use reduced parking requirements there because it was a transit-oriented development. And we did something then that is smart and it's serving us well now. We formed a transportation management association. Well, I wish more people would take that way. As you know, that we do give credit under state and federal law to building near corridor transportation. But we don't have any rules that say that you need to take the train or the bus. So um, my, my hat's off to the city of San Mateo for doing that. I hope more cities do that. Um, talking about the Bay Meadows project, how much more affordable housing is going to be built out there? I know we're not completely built out. Can you give us kind of, or give the viewers out there kind of where what stage we're at? So everything that's housing that's built in San Mateo comes under our inclusionary ordinance. So it has to have at least 10% affordable housing. So of the 1,145 units out there, 10% um, of those are affordable. And I think we're actually exceeding that in a couple of the developments because of some other special arrangements. We also just recently approved a new 68-unit all-affordable building, which Bridge Housing is building, uh, at the corner of 28th and Delaware. So I think there are a couple of hundred affordable units out there. Can we, you know, I'm, um, there's a buzzword going around in some towns, and I'm just going to pick on Foster City for a minute. We're trying to rezone a commercial property um, uh, that was going to be mixed-use situation into residential, which is called the Saras Regis Project. Um, and again, it's still at a preliminary stage, hasn't really been approved, even though there seems to be. Um, they're using a, a buzzword, which is a little bit different, which is called workforce housing. Yes. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm assuming you have you understand the distinction. We in Foster City kind of are not completely there. Do you see workforce housing ever being an ingredient um, in any project in San Mateo? Well, yes, I do. And actually, we're looking at the possibility of that right now. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping to get it even more refined and focused at local public employees. Give them an opportunity to live where they work. Um, and I'm talking about city, county, um, uh, teachers, librarians, uh, firefighters, policemen. The other day I had three young policemen outside of Jeffrey's Hamburgers downtown. They knew who I was. They asked me, what are you going to do for housing for us? And I told them that we're looking at the opportunity where the city owns downtown two lots. One's between 4th and 5th, just east of the tracks, and the other one is directly south of 5th Avenue, next to the tracks. It's where the current Workers' Resource Center is. The city owns those. We were able to obtain them after the governor dissolved re, um, uh, redevelopment zones, the redevelopment agencies. And so we did our homework. We got them back. 
Um, we do have a list of subordinate owners that we need to share whatever you know we develop there with them. But the idea is we put out RFQs and we got 10 responses. We tried to narrow it a little bit. We put out an RFP to see, um, get a cleaner focus. And we do have plenty of proposers. And most of them are proposing some affordable with market rate. But I really think we have such a huge housing need. And we're losing teachers. We're losing nurses. Our policeman, the one gentleman, young man who was talking to me, he's a, he's a single father with three kids. He's living in Tracy. He says it's really hard, right? Well, you know, we ought to talk about another success story, at least from my understanding, is the College of San Mateo yes. and, and how that... Can you share with the listeners the success that the college did? And this was a few years back. Yeah. Um, and... I brought out in, in, in some when I was running for office uh, talking about campus housing or um, building on campuses, and, and I know Facebook is doing that. What do you think about working on more of some campus type of housing uh, situations? And is there any areas in in San Mateo that may lend itself to that? We don't really have any large enough pieces of land. We do have some existing campus settings, and if those existing campus settings could be convinced to let's say for instance they're they're changing tenants they're looking at is this building really serving us well on this piece of property then I would certainly encourage uh, any any owners to consider the idea any new development actually that gets proposed here from a big developer or big employer should actually provide housing because that's one of our biggest problems is the jobs and housing imbalance College of San Mateo did a great thing they actually produced their own workforce housing for their own staff right and they're able to, because of their status as a state entity, get a break in state taxation, state laws, whereby they're able to allow the staff that they have living in those residences, they uh, pay a lower rate of rent, but they have to set aside some money. Or the idea is that they do set aside some money, that they get to do tax-free, right? And save that money up because they're only allowed to stay in those residences for like seven or eight years. And then they have to rotate out and let somebody else have that advantage. Right. So over that time, the idea is they save money, and then they're ready to go and try and you know, purchase someplace. Now, you mentioned earlier, um, and, and, and I don't want to quote you, and maybe you can tell me this different. I've talked to, to a few cities. That 10%, is that flexible? Are you guys pretty rigid? Is it only 10%? I'm talking to some cities that are doing 15%, and some, uh, I know I talked to uh, uh, an official in Belmont, and they, I think one project, they're doing 20%. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you see any flexibility it, in it's that? It's not rigid. It can be changed. And we actually offer two levels. Okay, so our inclusionary ordinance says if you want to provide very low-income housing, which requires a higher level of subsidy, right, you can, you can build 10% of units. If you want to provide moderate-income housing, we need 15%. So if you have a 100-unit building, 15 of the units need to be uh, affordable to that income level, which is based on the area median income. And um, so there's a 15, 10 or 15% choice there. Uh, that they make. Um, it can be raised. Um, very careful about raising it because like anything else, it, it's, it's like, uh, you know, if you have a bag full of beans, you push here and something else squeezes out somewhere else. Okay. You can't just push without having some action and reaction. And uh, what I know as a retired Carpenters Union representative is if you tell developers, well, it's going to cost you a little more to build, the first thing they look at to try and cut costs is labor. So I'm very sensitive to that. 
Okay. Um, there's a couple more projects I wanted to kind of talk with you about, and then we're going to get back into the um, transportation issue here, too. The target project, how far out are we in the target project, and can you tell us how many units there are actually going to be built out there? Um, it is going to be a mixed-use situation, my understanding, out there near the target, right off 92 in Delaware. I haven't heard about a housing proposal for Target. Well, I mean, it's already being worked on right now, being built. It's right on Delaware. Am I not calling it the right word? Oh, on Delaware. Yeah, on okay, Delaware. Th- yeah. That's, that's the uh, Station Park Green where K- Kmart used to be there. Correct. Kmart, Kmart. I'm sorry. Right. I called it Target. Yeah. Target's out on the You're other right. side. Right. Target's on the other side. Yeah, right. So the Kmart site is being built. It's called Station Park Green. It's also transit-oriented development. They are required to be members of the Transportation Management Association. They have to meet all of the standards that have been given them for uh, uh, peak hour cars coming and going from their development. Um, and we monitor that every year, by the way, for all of the members in the transit or, or, uh, zone, right? And so 599 apartments are built right on the Hayward Park train station. So the idea is that it is a transit-oriented development in several different ways because uh, also the uh, Sam Trans bus <coughs> serves it. There's, there's a bus that comes right into the Hayward Park train station and picks people up, right? Uh, the train stops there, um, and you're right next to the freeway. So there are many different ways to uh, get around from there. We're hoping to encourage everybody. And so when you asked, you mentioned a little while ago, about Bay Meadows. You said, of course, you can't force people to use the train. What we're finding, though, is that people actually who want to use the train, they look for these settings. People who live in Bay Meadows love living there, and a lot of them use the train. I was just recently out there and spoke to the Bay Meadows Neighborhood Association, and these people love their neighborhood, and they really like being able to just walk well, over and get on the train. Well, this is a perfect time to get the question in. This is something that I'm passionate about is for people to take the public transportation. Yes. Um, as being experienced and knowing the voters in the city of Foster City and knocking on a few doors over the years, uh, your, your comment about going to the train and taking the train are just astronomical. Most of these young techie people that I meet want to take the train. But when I talk to them, they say one thing. Patrick, it takes me 45 minutes on Hillsdale Boulevard. I'm going to be late. I have an idea, and maybe you can work with Mayor Sam Hindi on it. I'd like to see if we had, at one time, a commuter lane. that's only for certain hours for those specific people that want to take the train. Uh, we're losing out on a lot of people in Foster City because Hillsdale is just just too traffic heavy. So I can't blame them. Would you be encouraged to work um, with the city of Foster City to see if maybe they can do a study or limited study on the amount of high demand that we would have to use the train in a certain hours? Maybe that would be... 6 a.m. to 6.30. So, so, yeah, of course I'd be interested in working with them because, you know, these impacts impact all of us. Not only does it impact the traffic on the road, but it impacts clean air, clean water, everything. And the quality of people's lives because they're spending way too much time sitting around in their car on the road when they could be doing things that are much more interesting and exciting, being with their family. So, you know, there are a couple things already. There are certain free shuttles that serve parts of that part of San Mateo. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that the commute.org shuttle actually has a stop in Foster City, too. It makes a loop, comes back up to the Hillsdale Station. 
you can catch the commute.org shuttle and get to the Hillsdale train station. And that shuttle not only circulates east of 101 and through the Bridgepoint area, mm-hmm. but it also circulates up to Campus Drive and over to Clearview where the uh, Tesla and mm-hmm. the other thing, GoPro are up there, right? And that's not the only one, though. We have them all up and down the peninsula connecting train stations to employment centers. And I would encourage those people to find out where those are. But beyond that, um, uh, uh, where Hillsdale is at, at certain points is in Foster City. It's, it's three lanes for a good part, all the way from Foster City Boulevard up to, well, I think it's like beyond Shell Drive anyway. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of the more controversial, uh, and it's not, I, don't, I don't think it's approved or maybe it's in the preliminary stage, maybe you can give the listeners is the technology park. Uh, As you know, in most of the cities right now, uh, the taxpayers, the residents, they all want no more building. Uh, They don't want any more traffic. Um, Is the technology park approved? Is it still at the planning stage? Where's technology park? I'm not sure what you mean. Uh, This is the one uh, that is right off of... uh, of uh, North Folk. This is the one across from Taco Bell. They're talking of taking all those commercial... Oh. Isn't that called Technology so, Park? So, yeah. it's uh, There are two office campus settings there. Uh, the older one is is the farther one south. It's called Waters Park. Mm-hmm. It, right, yeah, Waters Park. It was built by Prometheus years ago. They named it Waters Park. And it recently sold to a developer who was proposing to build 190 residential units there. So... The thing is, and it's kind of interesting because that office setting used to have, I think, 1,100 cars coming and going morning and evening. Um, and the new residence, with only 190 residences, is uh, uh, actually calculated to produce only one-third of the cars that will be coming and going during peak traffic hours from that site. Okay, so is it an approved project? No, it's not approved. No, okay. No, uh, we had neighborhood meetings. Uh, I think I know that there was a planning commission study session, um, and it's going to come back for a hearing. It's not approved. It's still open to the public. Letters are welcome. Um, and what, uh, people what, can attend meetings. It'll be on the agenda. What is the percentage of workforce housing going to be in that? In that? that is going to have, I think, 10% affordable okay so and you know going back to the one over there uh, uh, with the Kmart uh, mm-hmm. since that was built near the quarter were we able to get subsidies on that was there any state or federal money not that I know okay. it's a private development okay yeah it's a private development at 599 units there will be 60 affordable units there okay and it's for rent now uh, <clears throat> We all went through the 2008... The ones at the water park are for sale. Right, for sale. We all went through the recession of 2008. um, And does currently the city of San Mateo, where are you kind of working with the county, have a first-time home buyer program? We do, through HART, the Housing Endowment and Regional Trust, which is receiving money from the county uh, and also um, has received money from uh, contributors who um, uh, take the issue of housing and first-time home buyers very seriously. So we do offer through HART, I'm a member of the board there, um, first-time home buyer assistance. Uh, we have a limit. I think the limit on the house you can purchase is $795,000. Uh, 
and we will give you the money that you need. Um, uh, th I mean, there's the whole, all the parameters are there. So I think it's, if I'm understanding, I understand the HARP program. Um, so is the city going to do like they did before, if I recall, where uh, you have a first, a second, and usually the first is the lender and the, the second might be the city and then the down payment? It's not the city, though. It's going to be HARP. HARP, okay. okay. Now, and, and, but here is a new twist because uh, as a member of the HARP board, I know that we're taking a look around the county, and a lot of cities have money sitting in their housing funds that they're not using. It's been sitting there for years. It's millions of dollars, millions and millions. And so we're actually looking at and trying to work out an arrangement with cities whereby we can do two things. One is be able to take and use that money and lend it out, right? Um, we create pools of money, different, each different city, wouldn't take any money from them until we have a project. Because the other thing we do is we also build, we, we, we give seed money for land acquisition for affordable multifamily home builders. Is that kind of like um, Habitat for Humanity where we're going to build so many, uh, no. No, a little bit different? No, no, no. If there's an, uh, uh, an affordable home builder finds a project, there's land, they, they have a proposal, um, and they need to get some money to buy the land, secure the land. Okay. We will lend them a short-term loan, usually three, but it can be extended, I think, two or three times. Um, but a loan at low interest rates and um, get them started. In fact, that's how our own Bay Meadows Affordable Housing building that's, go that's going to be going up now, 68 units, got funded. That project also got $7 million from the county Measure K money uh, because the county's interested in building affordable housing. So they sent $7 million to that project. But no... What we're looking at is taking and allowing the cities to participate in a pool of money that we would aggregate, right? Cities still have ownership of their individual money. We don't take it from them until we're ready to transfer it to a project. Can I get a backdoor a little bit? Yeah. When we take that money, is that going to, the pool of the money, is Hart going to be running the money or? Hart decides. Okay, I see. So uh, what cities yeah. can attach a condition. Let's say Daly City says, we only want to lend to projects in the North County. We can do that with their money, right? So they can add a condition. Um, but other than that, what we would end up with is a pool of low-interest dollars that we can lend out, like I said, these short-term three-year loans, to get a bunch of stuff started and going. That's exciting. That's real exciting. I, I'm, I'm excited to hear that. Uh, from a personal preference as a real estate broker for many years, um, I'm noticing um, a lot of potential development on the El Camino. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's zoned for development. And, and it's zoned for that redevelopment. I was working on a, almost a block, and I haven't been able to put it quite together because nobody wants to sell and pay all that capital gains. Um, it, it's too bad we don't have any creative ideas that we could somehow allow some of these people to take some tax breaks to sell their property. Um, there's one property on El Camino. Um, I'll just say one to block. To an affordable project. Yes, um, because I think, I think what we're, we're looking at um, and I, I don't want to mention the block, but it's a real strategic. I've been working on it for two or three years. One owner wants to sell. The other knows I don't want to pay the taxes. There's nothing to exchange. And so if we could find some tax relief, and I'm not asking you to solve that problem. I'm just trying to give the idea out there. It's a good idea, <clears throat> and I think it's a viable one. And um, I think actually, given the bind that we've been in and seeing that the state just, the governor just signed a raft of 15 different housing bills at the end of last year, any new ideas like that that are productive that will get affordable housing built will certainly be considered. 
And I think I know somebody you can talk to. Okay. I look forward to doing that. Um, I wanted to uh, uh, talk about a, a little bit of something that was a little controversial here in, in, in San Mateo, and I, I think you handled it extremely well. Uh, and that was the situation with rent control. And before I even preference that, I know Burlingame, and I'm going to have an opportunity to interview the mayor of Burlingame next week. Um, I'm, I'm reading little snippets in the paper. I'm not sure what it is. But it sounded like uh, that Burlingame was going to subsidize rents. And That's I didn't, what it sounded like. Yeah. And did it sound like that to you, too? They want to collect fees and use that, that money to help people who are, for instance, on the verge of losing their place, be able to stay in. Help people who are going through a tough time, get over a hump, keep them in their place until they can get back together and go on paying their rent or whatever it is. Doesn't help much if the rent gets raised, you know, 50%, okay? Then I think other alternatives will have to be found, you know? But if people are just having a hard time, they can help them with that. The other thing they're focusing on now is trying to build some affordability. Trying to create some affordability, you know, and Burlingame hasn't really done a good job of that. So. Let's go back to the El Camino uh, just for a little bit, and I have a I have a little bit bigger vision than, than maybe the county, and I know we really don't have a transit district um, organization. Um, the El Camino is really pivotal, but because it can connect to the train, it can contract contract to the bus system. Um, it would seem that we need to really work with the El Camino because the El Camino. Uh, which goes, you know, uh, north and south is real pivotal to connecting up to other forms of transportation. Um, so going back to what my suggested idea is if we could find a way to, to uproot or take that El Camino and do a little bit more mixed-use situation mm-hmm. with the retail and housing. How do you feel about that? I'm absolutely in favor of it. In fact, San Mateo actually changed our zoning along El Camino um, throughout a good swath of it. To where the heights are 40 feet along El Camino, they're on both sides, a lot, a lot of it. But you can go to 55 if you um, provide a benefit, right? So we just approved a building uh, on El Camino between 27th and 28th last year, I guess, called Hillsdale Terraces. Five stories, uh, almost exactly 55 feet, mm. um, three-level subterranean parking, uh, condos. Um, with uh, uh, 10% affordable, so it's uh, 64 units and 10% affordable. Um, and they were allowed to go that because they gave us $400,000 to use in the community. So when uh, uh, that money was brought back to the council saying, okay, what do you want to do? All the neighbors really want to have their local streets around there improved. They want to have uh, their street made safer. They want traffic calming. So up and down 28th Avenue, we're going to see traffic calming devices all the way up to Mason Avenue, or Mason Street, which is mm-hmm. pretty far up the hill. And Mason Lane. I used to live Mason, on Mason, Mason Lane. Mason Lane. Yeah. And then, of course, there's going to be grade separation at the tracks there. So 28th is going to go through underneath the tracks and continue past Bay Meadows Park out to Saratoga. That whole thing is going to be made a bicycle-safe street and pedestrian-safe street. Right. We're going to have bulb outs, we're going to have speed cushions, we're going to have uh, uh, high visibility crosswalks, uh, even some places probably those flashing lights, uh, you know, saying pedestrians crossing, 
you have to activate it. And then well, I'm so excited to see that what they're doing to connecting um, on Hillsdale Boulevard, especially for the bikes, because I am an avid bike rider too myself. Right. So right. I appreciate so, it. So San Mateo is very interested in, in fact, I'm going to be meeting uh, with the city manager in just a little while and the public works director to talk about furthering our bike infrastructure improvement project. Rick, I wanted to, I, I, I wanted to, first of all, thank you for uh, talking with us at Podcast by the Bay, but I also want to give you an opportunity to tell us where is your passion right now and what you would like to see in the next four years of, of being in office. I know your, your mayor is one year, but I know you've got some really good colleagues that you're working with. I've, I've interviewed one of them or two of them at, uh, at an opportunity with um, Kevin Mullen. So give us some vision of where, what you would like to see in the next four years of, of working uh, with the city and the city council and as mayor, and what 10 years down the road that you can look back and say, wow, I did a great job. Well, I feel that way about Big Minutes already, right? And um, really, we're just now starting our general plan. Uh, and we're going to be uh, reviewing our general plan over the next couple of years, updating it so that we're good through 2040 um, with uh, guidance for our development programs, um, what we're hoping and expecting to see, zoning, heights, land use element, all these things are going to be looked at um, uh, because, and God knows that's important, because we have serious housing shortage. You know, I mean, people who need to be able to live here, like I spoke about, people who could live in the workforce housing, are the same people who are currently being forced out of the city because prices have gone up and they continue to go up. Rents are astronomical. Try to buy a house, it's very high. Short inventory, high prices. So um, uh, I want to work to shape our general plan so that we're able to build what we need to build, which I think is some denser taller housing in certain areas where it makes sense, transit-oriented areas. <clears throat> well, I know you guys recently turned down a project, um, and I think it was on the El Camino. At least that's what I was on the planning commission. Um, can you talk a little bit? Was was that just too dense for the lot? What was the, what was the problem that they're struggling with on that one? Well, my fellow council members okay. voted no. Okay. I didn't. <laughs> All right. Well, well I appreciate it. I voted for it because I support housing. And even just 10 units adds to inventory. It's very simple supply and demand with real estate, right? If we add additional supply, even 10 units at a time, it makes a difference. Okay? So in that particular case, the, the objective uh, um, qualifier there was the fact that the building was three stories next to a one-story house, which was 40 feet away. Mm. Okay? On the other side of the building, it was three stories, but also 30 feet away from a two-story house. Right? And these are the west, this is the west-facing wall of it, looking towards Hillsboro, right? And it was there at West Santa Inez and mm. Eagle Road. And so um, our land use guidelines say that you should step down to one story or other lower buildings, right? And so I think the, in, in the end, the final uh, objective analysis was that the part of the building, and it was three stories with a roof. The roof is 8 and 12, which is a good pitch. Mm -hmm. Still did not exceed the height limit that was allowed there. Inside of the roof space, there was more living space. 
it's really a three-story building with a roof that happens to have some living space inside of it. Okay, ten units, um, but the neighborhood there felt very strongly. They went to the planning commission, and the planning commission denied it. Um, it was appealed. It came to us. I felt that this house is forty feet away. You look at the shadow study; the shadow never gets near it. Right? The other house, two stories and 30 feet away from the building because the driveway to access the subterranean parking is right there. It's a 24-foot drive aisle and another six feet to the building. Okay? So I felt like it was an acceptable project that should be built. Yet we denied it without prejudice. The planning commission had denied it with prejudice, which would keep them away from a year, okay? for a year from coming back with a, uh, a revised proposal. We decided to deny it without prejudice, so they can rework their plans and bring it back when they're ready. Okay. Well, I'm excited that you're about housing. Um, my concern is is um, also most of the environmental impact reports that we have have not really been updated, uh, meaning for the ratios of numbers of people living in units. Um, and because of that ratio, the impact is going to be great on all of our cities out here. Um, currently in Foster City, uh, there's, there's anti-no more building. Uh, yeah, and no more building at all. We have that here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we have that here. It's a very difficult issue to deal with. Yeah, you know, I mean, and I try to put it in context this way for people. Um, for at least the last forty years, we have not built housing to go with the jobs that we've created. We also have not improved our mass transit system in any way. Okay, so we need to do two things. We need to get smarter and build some housing in areas where it doesn't impact our settled historic neighborhoods, but right next to the, ra- the train station. Our downtown train station is a big opportunity area there. There's not much dense anything right there near it, right? It needs to have some dense mixed uses put there so that it can actually be a functional transit stop where you have enough people to live there to actually use it. If you had a magic wand, do you think that we should have BART? go all the way down the peninsula. Do you, would At you? this point, I get asked that all the time, and there is no magic wand, but I think we should take nothing off the table. Nothing. We should consider, Bart. We should consider any other mass transit option. Okay, so I'm talking about right now, we're looking at managed lanes on 101. We're looking at RM3 for the San Mateo Hayward Bridge. We're looking at the Dumbarton Corridor, which will connect trains from the other side of the bay, from the Capitol Corridor. And you heard recently, too, that Facebook has put up a million dollars to help with that study. So I'm looking forward to seeing technology. Just for our viewers, we are some 180,000 units short. Every year in the state of California, we need 180,000. I think currently we are building probably 40 or 50,000 units across the state. So Also relevant, in the last seven years here in this county, we've we created 100,000 new jobs and completed 4,000 new housing units. Wow. Can you give us the population approximately in the city of San Mateo for our 103,000. 103,000. Yeah. Again, we want to thank you on behalf of Podcast by the Bay. Any closing words, Rick? Yeah, just that I have high hopes for developing the ability to be able to build the housing we need while improving transit. Because like I said, 40 years, slow death. Over the next 20 years with no magic wand, 20 or 30 years, it's going to take success by a thousand positive actions. Thanks again, Rick.
All right, welcome back to Podcast by the Bay. Thanks to Rick Benia, San Mateo Mayor, for speaking with Podcast by the Bay. We definitely appreciate it. All right, and thanks again for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. We definitely appreciate your feedback. We definitely appreciate you guys reaching out. So, yeah, stay tuned, stay safe, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to another Podcast by the Bay. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com slash podcast by the bay. And in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. Liberty Realty. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.